Hi, everyone, and welcome to the European Startup Show, where every week I talk to exciting startups in Europe to learn more about their challenges and strategies they use to scale their business. My guest today is Jonathan Cherokee, founder and CEO of Content Square. What started out as a college assignment for him to figure out the gap between the digital experiences brands thought they were offering and what consumers were actually getting has today become the largest dedicated experience analytics platform company in the world with a global workforce of 600 people, seven global offices, and 700 clients, including some very impressive ones like American Express, Best Buy, Dell, Ikea, Salesforce, Sephora, and many more. And in case you didn't see the news recently, Content Square also closed a mega round of funding, $190 million, which makes them part of a handful of startups from Europe that have demonstrated explosive growth and something I wish to get into in this podcast. But first, welcome, Jonathan. Hi, Anita. So, Jonathan, your name, Jonathan Cherokee, and your accent being French first threw me off as I was looking through your bio. Is that a common name in France? So Cherki is not a common uh, name. My and uh, my accent is a very beautiful and charming French accent. I grew up uh, in uh, France and I moved from Paris to New York in 2017 to launch our US activities. What was your childhood like that you feel helped you to become an entrepreneur? Is there anything in your experiences growing up with an Algerian and Tunisian background and living in France that you feel gave you some skills and foundation to be an entrepreneur later in life? I would say uh, that I, I have the pleasure to grow up in an entrepreneurial family. My grandfather created 70 years ago an import export beans company. My father is working with them, brother is working with them. So I was growing around this, uh, this family business. And when I was young, uh, I was a big fan of maths and statistics. So that is also something uh, we have a lot in our uh, technology content uh, mm. square. And uh, when I was a, a student, I had the opportunity to work on a project that is transforming in, uh, in content square. When you had this interest in math and statistics, did your parents and your family encourage it in certain ways? Or is it you feel just the opportunities of where you were at that time? I don't think so. I'm not sure they, they pushed me on a specific ways, but they always pushed me to be the best on everything I was doing. And I think it's part also of the ambition I tried to, uh, to have in, uh, in Content Square to go beyond ourselves, to not just uh, accept to be good, but try to be the best in everything you are doing. I think it's something I received from my education. Interesting. So talking about the education, and I saw from your bio that you had this college project where you were doing something in the digital space. Could you talk me through your college experiences that shaped your thoughts on the digital space and why you thought there was an opportunity there? Is there specific experiences that stand out that said, you know what, I really need to do something here? So first of all, when I began, I didn't have any experiences in the digital space. But when I was a student, I discovered that Google was growing a lot. The acquisition market was growing a lot. Google with the search, but also Criteo with the display, the banners a Salesforce with CRM. 
And at this time, the focus was really on acquisition. Make more people come to the website, the tons of websites. But um, month after month, we discovered that the cost of acquisition was growing and the conversion rate is low. Mm. Also see that mobile was growing. And today, mobile is representing 70% of global traffic, but also low conversion rate. Amazon was appearing like a new king. Today, it's representing around 50% of online sales in the US. And I have the intuition that the experience market will become something big. That's why we put more energy to try to understand what happens uh, between the display, the ads, and the checkout. And that's why we develop a technology that helps to analyze user experience, understand mouse movement, uh, really capture why does a user leave a website, what happened in the, in the page, why someone will buy or not. Mm, interesting. So before we get into the company and the growth you've achieved, can you just tell the audience very quickly what Content Square does? Maybe some very typical use cases for which the companies that I mentioned in the introduction buy your software. So Content Square, it's an analytics uh, software that is analyzing mouse movements on desktop, on mobile is touch, swipe, zoom, every interaction to provide recommendation about what you should improve in terms of contents, merchandising, analytics, acquisition, and UX. Mm -hmm. And on all this uh, behavior, we aggregate this data to measure the efficiency of each asset of the website. So for example, we will try to measure the efficiency of content. No one is clicking on the text, no one is clicking on an images. So how do you really measure the efficiency of an image or a video? Mm -hmm. so to do so, our technology will analyze the visibility of the content, the engagement of the content, and will attribute the revenue generated by each area. So our job is to help to understand the user experience and to make it as easy that everyone in one click can measure and understand what is working, which errors they, they have to correct, which content they have to change, which software they have to optimize, uh, or they, ha they have to reconsider the ergonomics of, uh, of the website by providing data and, uh, and insight. And how is this different from, I know there's lots of software that give you analytics, Google Analytics, Hotjar, yeah. there's so many different uh, technologies that are trying to solve this problem. So how is Content Square different? So that is a good question. Let's compare Google Analytics, for example. With Google Analytics, you understand step-by-step step where you are losing people. But you don't understand why does a user leave a website and what happened before the click. 5% of the interaction of the user are before the clicks. Let's make a comparison with a store, a physical store. With an analytics like Google, you will understand who is entering, who is leaving, and how much they bought. But you don't really understand what happened in the store what people are doing, what they are viewing, what they are hesitating. Hmm. So that's the purpose of Content Square, to go further to really understand the experience by capturing new data that are the interaction. And our goal is not just to, to do session replay or give it maps, but really to quantify what should be your priority, what you have to improve. More customers we have in an industry, bigger is our benchmark. So 3% of conversion rate on a slideshow, you don't know if it's good or not. We know because we compare all the slideshow of all of our 
customer per industry to provide the good recommendation and the good priority for you to improve your, uh, your website conversion rate. I see. Well, that sounds really valuable insight that you're providing. Okay, cool. So given what you're tracking and the fact that you can compare how different users across websites are doing, could you share a couple of insights of what you've seen consumers in Europe do versus maybe US and rest of the world? Yeah, the, the, the behavior is very different from one country to another. So for example, let's compare uh, US and German people. We are in a checkout on a card page US guys are going to the product, the price, they will buy. Germans guy will uh, read general condition of sales, reinsurance elements before viewing the product and, buy, and buying. One out of five German people read general condition of sales. No wow. US guy will do it ever. If we compare, for example, China versus uh, Europe, When you buy a, a, a product, let's say a fashion product, you will see an average between three to five images of this product. In China, you will see 20. So people need more content, uh, uh, more information. Their brain used to have access to a lot of data. Maybe it comes from the fact that their alphabet owns hundreds and thousands of characters where the one in, uh, in your... When That's really fascinating. Well, I think I could just spend an entire episode on just listening to the insights that you're, you're seeing. But let's move on to a little bit about the company itself. In the early days, when you started the company, what were some of the things you did as a CEO that you feel laid a strong foundation for future growth? So, you know, I began the company in 2012. And from 2012 to 2016, we bootstrapped. Mm. From one person to 80 people, one customer to 80 customers. And I would say that one of the important points is uh, first to develop a good product, to have a good team, but I would say to have a strong culture. Mm. Culture is something very important, to share some uh, very uh, common and strong value to build the future of the company. For example, At Content Square, we have uh, five main values. One of them is ambition. Another one is enthusiasm. We would like people who are here, of course, to work hard, but also to play hard, to, to share a lot of excitement, to have a strong team spirit, but also to have a lot of creativity. Uh, we push people to take a lot of risk. We don't care if they, uh, if they fail. What we would like is... Uh, Uh, have them to understand and learn quickly, but uh, to go beyond themselves. We really believe in the uniqueness of the people with a mix of the people. For example, today we have 38 different nationalities and hundreds of backgrounds united all together. If there is something I would do differently, I would hire strong people sooner hmm. in the People who have a lot of experience, but who have the, the passion to make something uh, unique because they bring a lot. Hmm. Particularly with people like me, uh, because I don't have a lot of experience, this is only one company I have the pleasure to, to discover. So I try to bring uh, a mix of uh, young, very talented people, but also people who experience well to scale the company. 
Interesting. So keeping in, in the theme of your early days, I think all entrepreneurs struggle or, or have to decide between whether they're in the volume or value business and determine what their ideal average sale price might be. So how did you go about figuring this out for Content Square? You know, when you create a company at the beginning, you use also a piece of your background. And our DNA at Content Square is more enterprise focus. Mm. Because if you would like to uh, go to SMBs or to go to offer something for all the companies of the world, you have to be more uh, marketing as an approach or more digital-led gross product, meaning offering a product that everyone can go to use, you pay online or you didn't pay anything and you go. My background was more enterprise, meeting people, and I was thinking at this time, it was easier to make a big company by selling one product to one person one time and make them pay for that. Hmm. So we, we went in that direction. And for the pricing of the value of your product, I would say that is a market that is defining the, hmm. the price. And you go with different pricing and you see the reaction of the market. Uh, at the end, uh, you have to consider something that will create value. If, they, if the customer feels the value, he will find the budget for that. I see. And keeping with the early days again, what were some of the biggest failures in your early days of the company and, and what did you learn from it? You know, my very initial project was to develop a technology that is analyzing the performance of advertising, of banners. Mm. But quickly discover that even if the banners is good, if the website is poor or bad, the conversion rate is low and people will not buy. So I have the perception that the value I can create on measuring the efficiency of ads was not good enough was not big enough. Hmm. And that's why we focus on uh, moving in another product. Usually, your first idea uh, is not the one that will make the difference. And what I did is to, to hear from the customer, but also to feel the intuition we have, how the market will evolve. And that's why we put a lot of energy on this product. We decided to, uh, to raise money when the product was... Uh, strong enough and scalable enough and when the timing of the market was good. I think I am pretty lucky that I don't consider I have received some big fails and I hope I, I will not. Wow, that's, that is quite, quite impressive. It looks like you've put a lot of thought and planning into what you've done to avoid maybe some of the pitfalls that typically beset um, entrepreneurs. Okay, so you talked about funding, and that's something that I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on. So you've done seed, series A, B, C, and, and each time you've actually raised quite a substantial amount of money. So I'm curious, what's your philosophy on funding? How did you decide when to raise money and how much to raise? In 2012, uh, we began with a seed funding of 400 k dollars. Uh, but more than the cash, what was very valuable at this time was the people behind the cash. And it was a group of uh, 18 entrepreneurs, experts in SaaS. Wow. For soft. They are very good experts in SaaS. And they helped me a lot to understand the SaaS philosophy, 
how to create a SaaS product, how to price your, uh, your offer, how to consider long-term contracts, the subscription model, the acquisition model, etc. So at this time, that was the, the very valuable for me. And we use this 400K for four years. So we really bootstrap from 2012 to 2016. In 2016, we saw an acceleration of our business. We consider that the product was uh, mature enough to scale internationally. At this time, we have already opened one country, UK, where we saw some first customer um, in that region, and we decided it was a good timing to scale. My vision at this time was to uh, make an important fundraising because Series A of $20 million in 2016 was not common. Yeah. Not common now, but at this time it was, uh, it was pretty big. But the fundraising have to, um, have to come with a plan. And we have a plan to invest pretty quickly this uh, amount of money. So we build a plan where we really need this $20 million. Mm. And we invest this $20 million in between 12 to 18 months with an aggressive plan where we have to open the US. So I decided in 2017 to move to the US to see if that market could be a good market for us. The US was the biggest market in terms of e-commerce. So I decided to move myself. I hear a lot of people, something like 30 to 40 people in year one. Uh, in a totally new environment, totally new culture. And that was working. After six months, we began to sign our first big uh, customers like uh, Tiffany, Walmart, for example. And that was a good opportunity to accelerate in the US and globally. That's why we raised the Series B of $40 million, led by a US VC named Canaan. The Series A was led by Highland Europe fantastic people. So we, we keep on growing, keep on investing in the US. The growth was very good. And end of 2018, early 2019, we raised a series C of $60 million led by Eurasio, a global private equity. In 2019, we decided to acquire two companies, our main competitor named Clicktail, was very complementary to Content Square because it's an Israeli company with good R&D, but 80% of the business of Clicktail was in the US, where Content Square was uh, stronger in Europe. They were more developed in some like uh, financial, banking, and B2B software when we were uh, stronger in retail, fashion, and luxury. So really good synergies. We acquire also other company in 2019, an adjacent technology named Pricing Assistant, where the job of the software is to analyze the price of your product in your competitors. Because maybe someone loves your website and are ready to buy, but they will find a better offer in another website so to have a vision about what, what do you have outside of your uh, main entities. And Series D, we, we develop a plan for the next three to five years to uh, accelerate our global penetration, to invest more in innovation, and to open a new geographies. It's a series deal of $190 million led by BlackRock, one of the biggest asset managers and private equity uh, of the world. 
And we really believe that uh, it's a good opportunity to keep on growing our opportunity. We think our market is huge. Uh, it's a market estimated at uh, uh, $12 billion, growing over 14% year on years. So it's a good time for us to, to accelerate and we are very happy to have people who trust the, the plan, the gross plan of the company. All of the existing investors have been reinvested on all the different rounds, including this one. That's that's really interesting. So it sounds to me like what you did for each round of funding is, A, you were able to prove the previous plan that you had laid out. You, you executed on it and you proved it. And then you had a solid plan for why you needed money uh, for the next phase of growth. So being able to demonstrate that you used the money and you did what you said, and then having a plan for the next phase is one of the successes that I'm hearing that helped you to raise these big amounts of money. Is that correct? And are there other things that you would advise entrepreneurs to keep in mind or to do so that they can raise funds successfully? You know, there is a lot of cash in the market so, and a lot of investors. I think um, the investors are more and more selective, but uh, they will also invest on projects who have a clear plan, who have a lot of ambition, um, and we are ready to think big. So if you are uh, ready to scale your uh, sales machine, your acquisition engine, your the scalability of the company itself, your processes, and what you just need is more cash to do it, your uh, KPIs is, uh, are, are pretty okay, uh, I'm sure that you will always uh, find people who will uh, invest in your project particularly if you have the good people, if you have a market that is growing and you have the passion and the ability to do it. Got it. Got it. I think that's very good advice. Okay. Um, I want to move on to another question that I had in my mind for a company that is established and growing at the rate that you are. There are obviously conflicting goals for companies especially your size in terms of maximizing revenue, maximizing profits, maximizing market share, maximizing wallet share. How do you determine the priority and sequencing of these goals at different stages of growth? So the way we, we drive the company at Content Square is based on a lot of data. You know, when you analyze public company, the analysts are analyzing what they name rule of 40. Mm -hmm. question between do I have to invest more on gross or do I have to invest more on profit? Mm -hmm. The rule is the following. If your company is growing at 40%, uh, you should be at break-even. If your company is able to grow at 80% and 80% is huge at this side, you should keep on investing in your market. You should put more and more money in your gross. And we, we expect... And you, the, the, the analysts expect you to have less profit and are understanding that your uh, uh, profit will be under 40. So 80 minus 40 is 40. Mm -hmm. So but that, that works pretty well for uh, companies that are public. I would say that uh, for startups, there are different stages. Uh, there are some stages uh, more focused on product, even if you have to always keep on investing in innovation. There are stages where your focus is take market share, so invest more and more. 
but at each stage, you will have the KPIs to understand where should be your focus. So if you see your sales machine is efficient, put more sales uh, people to accelerate your growth. If you see that you have difficulties in retention of your customer, find a way to fix that. Focus more on the stickiness on your product or provide additional stuff or services to improve it. If you understand that you have a difficulty of your gross margin, of your model, let's find a way to scale it. Hmm. I think it's compare phase. There is a phase for product scalability, there is a phase for sales growth, and there is after a phase to improve the efficiency of all the different other KPIs. Hmm. Margin, cost of acquisition, geographic expansion, and profitability. That would be the phase uh, uh, we have at Content Square. I see. And, and do you plan, like every other company, once a year, you, you bring your senior leadership team together to figure out these goals? Or do you have a, a different mechanism for prioritizing and tweaking these goals? So that is a good uh, point. Uh, first of all, every year, we just not take all the leadership, but all the people of the company, mm. all together in one place, brainstorming about the result of the previous year and what should be the goal of the company. We ask the people to work on it and to provide what should be the goal of each quarter. And it could be quantitative goal and qualitative goal, but we ask them to do this job. Hmm. What is interesting in this methodology is when you let the people to def define their goals, they are providing some, most of the time, bigger goals than your own goals. <laughs> Uh, and that works if people have the same value and have a strong ambition and are ready to execute it. And we share with a lot of transparency the achievement of these goals to all the people of the company. I see. Interesting. Okay. So I know that, you know, you talked about acquiring Clicktail and the pricing assistant, and I understand why you did it in terms of complementary synergies, either in the technology or uh, in terms of the market and customers. But integrating companies that you acquire is always a challenge. And I'm curious if you can speak a little bit about what did you feel you did well to help integrate those companies into Content Square? And what is it that you think you could have done better? You know, uh, the topic of integration, it's a very uh, uh, hard topic. There is a stat saying that 70% of uh, integrations of companies of MA are failing. So I would say what we did is to take the time to align on a common project, uh, to be quick on the decision of the integration, sharing quickly to the people who we keep, who we don't, what is a new organization, giving some uh, roles to the people you uh, acquire through the company you bought, because they will have an important role of the, the merger of the team. Have a clear plan and respect it. Over-invest in communication. How the MA is progressing. How the, uh, how the merger is going on. All the different aspects of the company. To have some dedicated people to go to manage this process. I think that are key ingredients 
that mm. make it. But I would say at the end, it's also a question of people. Mm. You have to be sure that people will have the same goal, not just for the short term, but for the long term. Mm. When you have this kind of alignment, you will improve the chance of success of the integration. And I am pretty happy about the, the quality of the two integration we did. Uh, we will consider more and more MNA in the future of the company. Uh, and it's not because we did pretty okay on this one, that will be the case on the other. So uh, it's a very hard exercise where you have to really uh, uh, invest on the people and the processes to make it work well. Nice, nice. That was really solid advice and very much on point. So one of my last questions before we get into this fun rapid round is, this podcast is obviously about Europe and startups in Europe and inspiring more successful startups to come out of Europe. So given your experience, you know, beginning in France, moving globally, raising a lot of funding, I, I'm really curious to hear what do you think we need to do in Europe to have more successful startups and more unicorns come out of Europe? First, I think we have more and more in Europe. And one of the reasons is the level, the quality of the R&D. Mm. If I take the example of France, I consider that the engineers of France are very good. And they have a very good ratio of uh, price, loyalty, and quality. They are very expert on what they are doing. Mm. And I have the impression that the, the VCs, the venture capitalists uh, or firms, are understanding well because they are investing more and more in Europe. In France, in UK, in Germany, but even all over Europe. By comparison to before, We were 10 years ago in a world where U.S. companies were very strong in the U.S. and U.S. is a very big country. But now, with the acceleration of the digitalization of the world, the frontiers are disappearing. It's less and less being a French company or a European company, but you have to be a global company. And pretty soon in the growth of the company. I would say that it's important first to uh, have a strong uh, basis in your domestic market, but you have to be ready to scale globally uh, pretty uh, quick. Mm. And to have ambition for that because you can't be anymore just uh, a UK or a French or a German company. Even if maybe you can stay uh, just a US company because the market is huge, uh, in Europe is not enough. And I think now, There is a, this understanding is something shared by a lot of entrepreneurs that have big ambition. So you will see more and more unicorns growing from Europe, I think so. Yeah, actually your, your answer made me think of one last question, which is, you know, a lot of companies that I've interviewed in my podcast, especially those that are CVC and growing fast, have gone from their home country to US, whereas you went from France to UK and then US. Is there a reason and is there a time when that step makes sense or, or not? I, I was just thinking that I would like just to see first a proof of internationalization. Mm. And it was one to two hours from, uh, from France. So it was pretty manageable and it helps to prepare everything for uh, 
the opening also in the US. So it takes like six to 12 months to have the confirmation in UK. And when we had, we decided to, uh, to move to the US. Nice. I don't know if it's, uh, it's what we have to do, uh, but I would say it's more a question of timing. My market was not as hot as it is now. So at this time, it was a good way to test the market before uh, accelerating more in the US. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so we're almost at the end of the show and I want to just ask you some rapid round quick questions for which I just like short answers. This is supposed to be more for the fun round. Um, okay, so, it's hard to be fun. <laughs> um, first question, is there any book or books that you would recommend uh, that have made a big impact on you? Fiction or nonfiction or both? So I have in front of me an interesting book that I, uh, I read several times. I think it's something pretty well-known by the entrepreneur. It's The Art Thing About Art Thing by uh, Ben Horowitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, that shows the evolution of SaaS company. I have another one about uh, SaaS. Uh, it's more a guide about software name uh, High Gross Handbook from uh, Elad Gill. That is... Uh, like a dictionary or you scale startup from uh, 10 to 10,000 people. Wow. Uh, all the questions you could have, how do you manage your board? How do you hire someone? So it's a really a good uh, guide. So that is the two books uh, I would recommend for uh, uh, entrepreneurs. Okay. okay. If you could have dinner with anyone, anyone dead or alive, who would you invite for dinner? I really like Elon Musk. I think it's someone who is inspiring on some different aspects. It's very rare to see people who can develop several blockbusters. So he did it on PayPal, he did it on Tesla, he did it on SpaceX. I love the concept to bring what he learned on some specific vertical or to apply it in some others. Great, excellent. And what about favorite city in Europe? Our favorite city in Europe, I have to say I was born in Marseille, south of France, but I am a really big lover of Paris. I really love London also. So that are great city. You have always something to discover, always a new museum to, to go, very good restaurant. I love restaurant. I love good food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite cuisine? I love Italian uh, cuisine. I am a big fan of uh, burrata. Mozzarella. Mm, oh, I love burrata. It's my favorite yeah. as well. Every lunch. <laughs> well, we have that in common. Um, okay, what's your goal and ambition of where you want to take Content Square eventually? Like, what would you like to leave as a legacy? So, I, I grew up in a family entrepreneur. And the business of the family after 70 years uh, remains here. So, you know, I'm, I'm not here for the short term. I try to build some things that will be here in the next 10 years because I think that there are some fantastic opportunities, uh, particularly in the data and digital world where we are the very beginning of the understanding. I would love to have a, a holistic understanding of uh, human behavior with a full respect of privacy because I think today it's something very important for all the people and even for, my, for myself. But... In our plan and in my, in my view, I think we can learn and discover more and more. And I would love to have the, the opportunity to keep on growing the company, 
because I learn a lot myself. Every step is a learning curve for me. I come to the US with my French accent, where sometimes people capture 80% of what I could say. I have some kids who are born here in the US. We acquire new company. We are growing in Asia. So every day, it's something new I discover. And if I can keep this pleasure, you will have to support me for a long time. Nice, nice. Well, I think we can end on that inspiring thought. Thank you very much for making the time to be on the show. It was a pleasure.